Brothers Book Club podcast. We're here with episode 44 in our little Black Classics Penguin Review Collection. We are well past halfway now in the set of reviews we're doing for Penguin's Little Black Classics. Here with me today is our closest friend of the podcast. Officially, I think you're our podcast best friend, Amanda. That's you. Oh yay! <laughs> yeah, congrats to you. You're now the yeah. You're that's a title. It's we'll send you your papers. Those are coming over Sweet. shortly. Yeah, also, it could be brothers, book club, and bestie. It could be. We can just keep throwing bees in the B B. I did notice a uh, couple episodes after we started this whole endeavor that if if one day we were prestigious enough to get abbreviated by people, that technically we would be called the BBC, which I thought was kind of great, oh, and yeah. you know. Perhaps copyright infringy, which, you know, not <laughs> ideal, but, uh, yeah, we'd make do, I think, <laughs> and get by. Uh, I don't know if we'll attain that status, but maybe with you, we'll throw that extra B and we'll get there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Today's book we have chosen to read is one short story. So usually in this Penguin set, they throw in a couple of them, but today it's just one short story by a landmark author, uh, and that is Fyodor Dostoevsky. Had you ever encountered his writings before? Uh, no, I've wanted to. He's definitely on my list. So I was excited mm -hmm. to read this story to see what his style is like. Excellent. Um, intriguingly, and I, I'm not, I don't have a professional opinion, but I did read one of his longest works for a um, political literature class, and that is The Brothers Karamazov. Mm -hmm. And um, so I can at least weigh in and say, my commentary is this is actually a pretty decent introduction to him. Like actually, if you're, if you're a listener out there um, and you've been, as Amanda stated, like waiting to get in, this is actually a pretty good early start or first start. We'll talk about why that is uh, later in the review, but yeah. So actually that, I think that kind of fits for what you were looking for in a strange way. Let's dive right in. This is the short story we're reviewing. It is called The Meek One. Um, because Am Amanda found it on her own, I assume this is available online. Is that right? Yes. Um, and it goes by several titles, apparently, it's because oh. of translations. So there's The Meek One. And I think the one that I found on, um, I forgot what website it was, but it's called Gentle Creature, The Gentle Creature. Uh, okay. Yeah. I could see that too. I, both, both words, gentle or meek kind yeah. of fit the content of what the story covered and the character, which we'll get into shortly. Um, but yeah, no, that I could see that fitting the, a lot of the penguin works that we reviewed in this, you know, 80 set collection have to be translated because mm -hmm. they sampled a lot of world literature. Ryan and I did a little commentary on this with a couple things we've encountered, some Italian stuff. Um, but for the most part, I haven't had to comment too much on translations, obviously, because I didn't, I don't have the expertise to do any translation. So to me, it's always kind of like interesting to right. think about, but I feel like I come up short in terms of commentary because I don't know what to say. You know, sometimes a certain word pops out. I didn't notice anything in this, um, in my translation that felt uh, anachronistic to use a word. I don't know if that's the perfect word for the, what I'm thinking of, but there mm -hmm. didn't seem to be anything super out of place. There was some um, repetition in there and some repetitiveness, but I'm assuming that was by design. Well, let's get into our one sentence simile reviews then, shall we? Yeah. I'm going to have you start this week, Amanda, since you're uh, an expert and veteran at this point, you can lead <laughs> us off. What is your one sentence simile review of the meek one? Uh, I said that reading this is like watching a teen drama with 
one of those stereotypical mm-hmm. female characters, the one who's okay. like the kind of character who's just so angsty and uh, thinks that they're really self-aware, but actually is really not self-aware um, specifically with um, the idea of like, Oh, well, I shouldn't have to say what I want him to do. Right. He should just know instinctively what he needs to do. Well, and should know by consumption of those same stereotypical dramas. Exactly. I, um, I have two thoughts on that review, which I think is pretty astute. The one immediate issue I'll take with it is, would you even call her a character? <laughs> yeah, right. She, yeah. she is literally in the story. Uh, so I guess I can't, you know, in the most literal way, I cannot dispute that. Um, but th- her lack of in- engagement in the story, I think is partially the point. Of course, we'll talk yeah. a little bit about that broader stuff without, again, trying to avoid spoilers where relevant for reviews, but yeah, her depth as a character is, uh, very shallow. So that's, yeah, that's my first thought. Uh, my other thought was I, the narration I think was designed in, in this way. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you re- left this story with any other impression, it would be, shocking and i think it would be like wow he really in the by designing and writing that story really missed the mark then mm-hmm. um but it did definitely feel that way and yeah. yeah you feel the frustrations of the narrator perceiving the character that way and i think as a reader you can feel those frustrations too yeah i think um in in my analogy as well the for me the the female character is like in the movie it's the female character but in the book or in the yeah. story rather the narrator would be that f- stereotypical female character sure uh, in yeah. terms of those like stereotype traits you know yeah. like the, as you describe them yeah we could ascribe that i think to both of them that i yeah. mean frankly they both seem to be failing to communicate in every possible way so yeah that's <laughs> yeah. definitely true <laughs> My simile review is that I thought this reading this was like listening to a thoughtful or insightful lecture by like a professor or just a teacher, but who has the really monotonous delivery. So it's just, you know, there's things in there you you're into, but mm-hmm. you just can't get past that or you're, you struggle. Mm-hmm. I think also the inverse of that could be true too, or the opposite could be true where you have this really great professor, really zany and fun, interesting person. And then they just spend the whole time going on a bunch of tangents and you don't come away from with anything, but you felt like you were, I don't know, I guess, modestly entertained or sort of intrigued by them. I think either of those could be true. It's just essentially where you, you know, there's depth or, you know, there's something interesting and you miss, you just miss that, or you want there to be more and you just don't think there's anything there. I think both feelings could be true. Yeah, I I especially agree with the uh, the zany professor because I think the energy from this story is very frantic. And when I think of a yeah. professor who goes off on a lot of tangents, it's usually somebody who's really excitable and really excited about the topic, but just can't right. keep a thought together and just yeah. Yeah, the, I agree. In the, in the most um, literal way, the narration does feel that way. It kind of feels herky jerky at yeah. times in the story. Let's move on to some connections then. What would a reader in 2020 connect to in this? I'm going to throw mine out right away because if you, uh, the listener, have listened to last week's review, this is the same thing or 
rather two weeks ago. Sorry, we recorded a lot of these in advance like professionals. So I'm (laughs) starting to get the weeks mixed up a little bit. The yellow wallpaper review that Amanda and I did together, though, the connection I had for that was just general issues around feminism. So we're in the, you know, Me Too movement, pretty broadly speaking. And there's a lot of questions being raised about progress or lack thereof. I think this book also covers a lot of those issues, though, through an extremely different lens. Um, Specifically, if you wanted to think about patterns of toxicity and male behavior, you know, patriarchal behavior, if you want to apply that term to it, certain mindsets, those things come out in the story nearly on every page. Um, And there's really only two major characters, and it's about a marriage or kind of a failing marriage and their relationship. So I think in terms of just relevancy, yeah, there's plenty of those moments. There's plenty of dynamics about marriage. I think culturally, quite obviously, a lot of these specifics don't hold up anymore. Um, For example, he's 41 and she's 16. That would be illegal, I think, in most states with some exceptions, maybe. Um, So, you know, there's some literal stuff that doesn't translate. Then again, the notion of like older men dating, preying on younger women is also not new and is relevant still. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain technical things that, yeah, aren't exactly the same, but I think there's a lot of relevance there. Yeah. I, when I was thinking on, um, the idea of there being a, a feminist slant to this. I hadn't even, when I approached the story, I wasn't thinking that there would be at all. So the, the, the focus, especially on her age and her innocence and how he wants to control her. I was, yeah. I was surprised by that. I was like, Oh, okay. So we could look at it in that way. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. What was your connection? Um, I was focusing on the the idea of the materialism versus spiritualism, specifically on the idea of um, like people saying, oh, there's a war on Christianity, there's a war on Christmas and, you know, that kind of stuff where people feel that their spirituality and, and the act of practicing their religion is under attack by mm-hmm. uber liberals and stuff like that. So I thought that was something that people, if they wanted to go into this, they could kind of look at it from um, the perspective of somebody who's very much, uh, Dostoevsky was very religious. Yeah, yeah. So, I thought and that, that was comes through in his other re- uh, writings too. Do you ever find just societally, I guess, culturally in the US nowadays, last, I don't know, decade or so, the, the war on materialism here, is it lip service at this point? I always find it to be such a shallow. It's like everyone complains about Black Friday, but then everyone goes, I guess, in that sort of way. Yeah, I, I find that people have intentions and ideals and ideas, but they don't really follow through on anything and then complain about the lack of action on other people's parts. Yeah. And I, there's certain ways in, in, I would say more micro, I guess some of this is macro though, but there's some micro ways this shows up. I think of Amazon subscriptions as one of them. It's something that a lot of people I think would like to break off of, break off the Amazon like monolith and the, you know, how much kind of power they've accrued. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so many people still have their subscriptions going and myself included for various reasons, whether it's now because they just have good TV there. It's like, oh, I want to see the good stories they make and pay for um, versus like, you know, or not versus, but in addition to cheap delivery, free stuff, you know. So it's, I I do agree that it's something we should all be cognizant of and should think more about our, our consumerism and materialism. Then again, it does feel like one of those topics that 
is just lip service, which is a shame to say, but yeah, more can be done, I suppose. Yeah. And, and even Dostoevsky saw this coming from sure. What year was this? Like late 1800s, was it? Yeah. 1800s. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Definitely relevant. Let's get into some specifics then and talk about our quotes for this book. I'll, um, I'll start with one this week. I don't mind kicking things off here, getting into the text. Yeah. I'm going to start with one. I'm going to start with a more positive one, I think. Um, cause I have some mixed quotes in here, some things that I liked and didn't. Um, I've got a quote from 14. I'll read first and says, I was pleased too by various thoughts, for example, that I was 41 years old and that she was 16. That fascinated me, this sense of inequality. It was very sweet, very sweet. There's a lot in that quote that I think sets up the story well, um, stylistically, content-wise, thematically, whatever. Like mm-hmm. the con- conflict and dynamic of the novel, or novel, it felt kind of felt like that to me at times. <laughs> yeah, I, it's pretty I dense. This one, yeah, this one dragged a bit for me, um, but of uh, the short story, rather, is, is clearly stated there. It's about this uh, main character narrator who wants to kind of like dominate or possess, you know, literally, not literally, this young girl that he marries. And so that's basically the dynamic there. I also think, too, it shows the obsessive nature of the narrator and, mm-hmm. and the way that the story reads that that is comes through extremely clearly in the style. I think if you were to teach, you know, in a school or set up a curriculum and you want to look at first person narrators with like quirks and personality types, this guy would be an extremely easy one to present and look over because mm-hmm. just the way it's written, if you look at that sentence construction, a lot of repetition, some modifiers being, you know, sweet, very sweet. And he's just kind of has a circular way about him. Right. And yeah, I think thematically like this control idea and him sort of romanticizing control and fetishizing it, it's a lot of things are present in that quote. So I think that's just a great one to set up many things about what kind of worked and didn't work in this story. Yeah, I think that's that's a great quote. What do you got for me? Set us up with a good one. If you have a good one. If you don't, then set us up with a bad one. <laughs> um, so that quote that you just um, gave us, it, it reminded mm-hmm. me a little bit of um, The Sorrows of Young Werther by Goethe, yeah. which is not surprising because he mentions Goethe several times specifically Faust um weirdly but I, connect, yeah weirdly connected <laughs> yeah and uh I was reading up on it and apparently um Goethe was like one of his top five authors of all time uh, okay. that he would recommend to people hmm. um so but that that quote in, in particular the idea of like the obsession and um so what I'm going to pull out is where I see uh, a stylistic similarity to Werther. Um, okay. So, of course, I did not speak of it directly, or it would have appeared that I was apologizing, and I, so to speak, worked it through with pride. I almost spoke without words, and I am masterly at speaking without words. So here, just like in uh, The Sorrows of Young Werther that we uh, had done the podcast on, like, a couple months ago, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, it feels like, well... To be fair, if you're listening to this in any point in the future, we're recording during the the coronavirus quarantine times. So time is just fucked. I, who knows <laughs> how long it was ago? Yeah. I don't know. It was. It you said. I think it was like maybe two or three weeks ago. But I mean, man, who knows? Who cares? I, it was a while ago. 
You can it find it in the podcast ago. feed. Be be generous to us. You know, we're not fact checking our own stuff at this point. We're just here to read and discuss literature to the best of our abilities in a passionate manner. That's it. And that's it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> you know, but um. So the reason that it reminded me of Werther was in Werther as well. Uh, the idea we talked about his madness and how there were signs of his madness at the beginning, which was the um the play with opposites. And so we see right. here opposites as well with the the speaking without words, and he is uh, so that that's what reminded me of Werther. Specifically. Yeah, you have these playing with uh, contradictions to the point of like there are some paradoxes in here. I'm sure if we yeah. want to draw out some specifics, I don't think I pulled any that felt that way. But yeah, if you were thorough in combing the narrative, you could. D- certainly make a point around like how just paradoxical the author can be mm-hmm. uh, not the author sorry the narrator the can narrator, be in yeah. his presentation throughout it's um can be at times agonizing to read i pulled a quote then let me pile on that same point where i think this is where it kind of broke down for me at times and something that just didn't work about it i had a quote on for from 44 that felt the same way and it says she flinched again and recoiled, badly frightened, looking at my face, but suddenly stern surprise appeared in her eyes. So you still want love? Love? That surprise seemed to ask suddenly, although she was silent as well. And that's another example of this text just being rife with moments of his inference where he's just he's believing things or inferring them. Mm-hmm. And it just comes to the reader then as like a challenge to decide how much is he perceiving and how much should we believe him? You know, is that, is his perception to be trusted? Do I think right. that the inference he's reading is accurate in any way? Mm-hmm. Do I think that, you know, as a narrator, he's reliable to use the old uh, tried and true language? Right. And so I think it's interesting because I think I like a challenging reading in general, not all the time, of course, you know, I, I like some easy texts as well, but I think this one, it just, it requires you to be very dexterous and like react and respond to the narration. It's the kind of reading where you can't really take a sentence off. I mean, you certainly could, but because of the unreliability and because it meanders in this way that you just, yeah, you just can't really rest in this one. Um, Not that you should have to, again, I certainly advocate for reading challenging material. That's fine. I think narratively, though, you just should know that going in so that hopefully this quote represents, again, is through a review perspective, hopefully it represents just how the narrator has these constant moments of interpretation that you as a reader have to then question because it has, without spoiling the ending, it has direct ramifications on the plot and the things that occur and, you know, how other characters end up. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I I wanted to add that quote on to yours. I I think those pair up extremely well. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, it's um, piling up on on that point um, or looking closely at your quote in particular. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how um, it's very stylistically he's very careful about how he writes things which reminded me of charlotte perkins gilman in that she you know every Mm -hmm. word had a purpose and every stylistic point had a purpose where i think dostoevsky as well in this story is is very purposeful so in the quote that you just gave us um you see a lot of the s sound right stern surprise appeared in her eyes which rhymes so you still right, yeah. still want love. Surprise seemed to ask suddenly, silent, right? So it's all these mm-hmm. S's, uh, which is obviously done for a purpose. So I, I 
like that he does everything for a purpose. And that's also what I liked about Charlotte Perkins Gilman. I just think that his, some of his stylistic choices are kind of like overshadowed by the content where it's, it's a bit uh, clunky with uh, where he puts out some of his ideas, kind of like uh, we talked about, like with Debalzak, where he's got great points yeah. and like, really it's intriguing. And you want to sit down and think about like, Oh, what did he, like, he just said something that's really profound and I need a minute to think about it. So it's kind of like a mix of Charlotte Perkins Gilman and uh De Balzac for me as far as like style versus like just really incongruous inserts that seem to just throw the style off course. So I have yeah. um, a quote that I thought kind of ties in with that, which is um, cheap heroism is always easy. And even to sacrifice life is easy too, because it is only a case of hot blood and an overflow of energy. And there's such a longing for what is beautiful. No, take the deed of heroism that is laborious, obscure, without noise or flourish, slandered, in which there is a great deal of sacrifice and not one grain of glory. You try that sort of heroism and you'll soon give it up. So we see his his point there about heroism and like what he believes is true heroism, Mm -hmm. but it's like thrown into a paragraph where it's just like thrown in there. Like you're just, where is this coming from? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a digression that reads, you're right. And this is, this connects well. I have two things. I want to circle back to something. Don't let me forget about the alliteration comment you made because I want to circle back to that. Yeah. Um, but to deal with the quote you just read first, it, it is a great connection too to the other works of his I've read, especially the Brothers Karamazov, where it's just, I, at some point when you're writing a novel of a certain length, I feel like all authors t- tend to dive into these speeches or they give these monologues to characters. And it's something that drives me crazy in fiction because it does feel the most lazy in a way where mm-hmm. I just at some point can't help but wonder would this be better suited to like an essay or a philosophical work or something? I can read those too. I enjoy those in different ways, you know, like give me an essay collection. If what you have is some thoughts on human nature that you just need to say directly, you know, I, the joy of fiction to me isn't just in the, in philosophical pondering, I guess it's, in the literary elements too. And yeah, I think that quote, I think um, my own reading of it was smoother. Like I wouldn't have plucked that one out. I thought that was just the character. It was just characterization. It read to me, but no, you're exactly right too. in reading it that way, I think a lot of people would read that quote that way, which is just, why do you have to be so explicitly telling me all this stuff in the middle of this, you know, narrative in the middle of this paragraph? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be, that would make for an interesting quote to frame of kind of a paper around. Like, I think if you talk about different forms of heroism and how this character views himself as maybe heroic or not heroic and Mm -hmm. what traits he wants to kind of exemplify or not. And then obviously by implication, what the author might be saying about that. I think there's a plenty of stuff in there. I think thematically that quote does work, but it doesn't make it not long winded and it doesn't make it, you know, exist in the right part of the text. Like I'm sure. And I don't remember where it showed up now. I remember the quote though, a hundred percent. So I think to highlight it, you were very smart. Like that's really good one to highlight. Cause I remember exactly reading that and thinking that's like an info dump, you know, that would be like our common (laughs) casual term for today where it's people get accused of your fiction it's like that's ah, just an info dump episode or whatever and right. it did feel that way but i think thematically it worked for me but no that's 
in his other works too. I mean, legendarily, he has a part in the Brothers Karamazov that's so important but so dense. It's just it's like a character talking for like fifty pages that sometimes is actually just cut out of the novel and it's just reprinted on its own. It's like literally its own philosophical thing about Christianity and it's a theological kind of digression about God and all of this stuff. And it's literally cut out of the book because it just doesn't even feel like it should be a part of the narrative. It's just, it, I mean, it tells you a lot about the character, obviously, but mm-hmm. at some point when you're writing a 1000 page novel, like you just, I don't know, it feels like all those really lengthy books have tendencies in that direction, which I am extremely wary of at this point. I don't know if it's just because I'm older if I've grown, um, I don't know, lazy with reading works that are a thousand pages, but this this uh, even short story had moments that felt that way to me. Yeah, and you got to be careful with those. That's my uh, that's my simple advice. Let's loop back to the alliteration point because I have questions for you on that one. Sure. Did you find that the then you you mentioned rhyme and alliteration specifically? Did those elements pop up then in certain moments or have certain? I don't know, commonalities or is there like a rhetorical through line on those? I'll admit it was not an element that I noticed. And I'll go even further to say those specific like sound things, especially Mm -hmm. within a sentence, just don't pop to me when I'm reading fiction. When you're when I'm reading poetry, it's so heightened that I'm like, no, to look for that. But I think when I'm reading non or not nonfiction, but when I'm reading prose, I am more looking at like sentence to sentence kind of flow. And so I, I usually miss the thing you p- picked out well, which is just kind of the internal rhyme alliteration. Did that have, I don't know, was he using it in a way that had some kind of rhetorical purpose that you noticed? I think that uh, with the repetition of the S sound specifically, um, that calls to mind the the sound of a snake, right? When we associate snakes with evil. Mm-hmm. So it's the... Uh, the 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 warning signs of something evil almost yeah. is what came to my mind when um I read that. It is something that gets lumped into like near uh, archetypal status at this point. I think that's yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, and and the rhyming, I think it's just I don't know whether he did that on purpose, but I would assume that he did. Right, the stern surprise appeared in her eyes, and so maybe the mm-hmm. sing songiness might be a play on like her well he calls her childish and stuff but in reality you know he's yeah just as bad <laughs> so right yeah, yeah. no it's, it's yeah <laughs> and if if the whole thing is through his lens which it is i don't even yeah. know if we get a good reading on her you know right. at all like i who knows how on, honest that any details of her are literally at all in the story but yeah given what we know they they both have you know, severe, like just communicative failures. And they both have these personality flaws that are, yeah, I would say tend toward the childlike. And yeah, I think, you know, if you were submitting your, you know, your, your college paper and you came up with that point about it reflecting a childlike nature in himself. um, Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And it definitely fits with certainly again, the thematic elements of the story and just where the plot or how the plot plays out. And yeah, that connects really well. Do you think anything that we left anything on the table quotes wise? I think we did a pretty thorough breakdown there of what it's like to read this story. Do you have anything else to cover in that section? Not really. I I think that that's pretty good. Yeah, we that was enjoyable at that time. <laughs> yeah, we did. We, yeah, we had some good ones in there. I think that. And yeah, again, in the you know purpose of 
reviews that I think we gave him a true sense of the reading. Let's jump to the review corner, the literary corner, rather. This whole thing is a review corner. Um, <laughs> let's jump to the literary corner. This is the educational, uh, pedagogical part of the podcast, if we can say that. This is where we try and highlight some literary elements that the story brought to the fore, um, you know, trying to be fun and entertaining, if possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not fun and entertaining, fun and educational. There we go, if possible. It's late, folks. We're going to just scrap that up to it being uh, <laughs> almost 10 It's after 10 p.m. Hello. Um, why don't you start with yours and then I'll go with mine. Sure. Um, so what I immediately noticed was um, the format of the story and it's uh, in medias ret race right that's what we said it was in media we did race. agree on that before we recorded but like <laughs> like anything we've discussed before recording it immediately goes out of the brain as soon as we're like yeah let's confirm that it's it's why our research department here so it's underfunded i mean again we, just, <laughs> we, need, we need to set up a patreon account for our research department yeah there we go um, yeah anyway no yeah keep going i either pronunciation i'm cool with um so that's when the beginning of a narrative um is actually a crucial situation that is part of a related chain of events where actually it's like Mm -hmm. out of it's a disjointed thing it's not it's different from a flashback right so it starts off with a a major scene that uh that's going to occur later and the the beginning of the story is just leading up to that particular point so it kind of like is a spoiler at the very beginning of the story right so if you've seen deadpool 2 that's that is exactly what this is where you see have you seen deadpool 2 i have yeah in in theaters even look at me big yeah. deadpool fan. like all <laughs> like all literary folks are big deadpool yeah. fans yeah so when he's like um trying to uh set himself on fire right trying to blow himself up that right. is in medias res race yeah race. i was thinking <laughs> the most recent connection i have to that storytelling device is to I beat, it was a video game called Uncharted 4. These are basically like Indiana Jones type simulator games. I mean, that's the quickest connection I could make to a listener out there. Um, they're like action games. You know, you play a like a adventurer guy, try, archaeologist type. Anyway, and I think every single one of those begin that way. I, I don't want to exaggerate, mm-hmm. but I think literally all of them open with a at a point that's like in the middle of the story. So yeah, yeah no, I. it's a, at this point extremely familiar technique i think for most listeners yeah and i was just wondering um when i was thinking about it like with this format why would he specifically do that is it the the format is interesting to me uh considering Mm -hmm. that he is talking to the you right which yeah directly your point yeah it does yeah Uh, um but why would he choose to open up a story where open up the story to this traumatic point and then build up to like his, his uh, role in, in it. Why, why do it that way? Is, is There's my two, question. I jump at this in two, or I come at this from two angles. I think if I can answer your question, cause yeah, this yeah. ties directly into my literary corner too, which is a narratee, uh, which is, I flipped open the penguin literary dictionary again and stumbled on that one. Um, got lucky because I think that was like the first page. I was just like, ah, looking for terms. And then I found that. But yeah, it's essentially a term that denotes like to whom the narrator addresses the discourse or the story. So it's like, mm-hmm. who is the narrator talking to? And so it's never made 100% clear, I don't think, unless I missed some explicit thing, 
it did feel very confessional though. And it, you know, the rambling nature of it felt very, you know, confessional, like to a police officer or a jury or a judge or some thing, especially considering how the story ends, which again, I won't say, but it, it stands to reason that there would be legal implications for how the story concludes. Right. Um, and so that's very much how it read to me. I, I think in terms of why, the most obvious why would be just to make it sound confessional because of the ending, because the ending has such legal ramifications or implications that it just makes sense for it to be read in that way where you have this confessional, like yeah. here's a very obvious reason why a person would need to do a confessional, basically. Uh-huh. I think it also allows for the the digression, I was going to say digressionary, that's probably not a word, the digression <laughs> heavy style, though, that's present throughout the whole thing kind of underscores the entire stylistic you know, elements of the story. But I think it kind of opens up to that in a way that feels maybe a little more natural, you could say, or, or makes it more understandable why the narrative would have to be written this way. I guess yeah. if it was presented as just a straightforward first person narration with this voice, it would be off-putting. I, I don't think it helps it. I think it's off-putting anyway. You know, I don't think it, it, it certainly justifies it literally or, or obviously. I don't think it, I don't think it made it better to read it, but I do think it makes it clearer up front, which is good. Yeah, I think that it it does clearly state what the the issue is, and I think that it does go towards uh, the tone, where it's uh, with the the franticness, right, that we had talked about yeah. earlier, and we can see why his he's right doing all of that and saying the things that he's saying, and and just se- seeming disjointed and a little crazy. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it goes towards tone as well. And I think too, if you and I, know, I also was wondering who the U is. Yeah, no, and I never oh, I came across that a I, term yeah. answer. I certainly, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't either. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's yeah. open to the reader to interpret, which I really like. Frankly, I don't need. I'm not someone who'd come away from this thinking, and I, I'm disappointed that I didn't get an answer. I'm fine with that part being open ended because I think there's enough in there for you to infer your own conclusion, which is, I'm cool with. Yeah. Yeah, I the only thing that I because I was trying to think about like, oh, who's this in particular? Like, is it is it also like Werther where it's a uh, a letter almost right? Or is it like in person mm-hmm. or what's going on? But the only reference point that I could find was at the very beginning when he says gentlemen. So it's several right. people and it's men. So I was thinking yep. must be maybe jury or policeman or, or some, some form of authority. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I, I read it just the same way and that's the best evidence for it. I think that you just plucked too. I forgot about that quote, but I, at some point must have processed it to think the way I did. Yeah, no, that's a great quote too. I think that's the best evidence we got. Yeah. Let's move to reviews then. Cause I think we've again done a pretty good stylistic breakdown of this one before we hit our final ratings. Let's do the Russell French in memoriam. So what's good about it segment? This is when we celebrate at least one thing from the text. This is in honor of all those uh, early Penguin classics that I bashed. I don't know about bash, but (laughs) did did not love. Um, So what was one good thing? I'll start with this one since I made you do the other one. Um, We've talked a lot about the narrative and the style, the voice of the narrator. A lot of the outbursts are kind of thrilling. You know, I, I did enjoy the kind of dynamic nature of the character um maybe not all of the time and it has some non sequiturs that just make it kind of logically hard to read at times where you think 
are we still talking about the same event or is it just in terms of just clear plotting you can't help but wonder like is he referring to the same characteristic or a different motivation now and just kind of jumps around if you're unbothered by an eccentric character and an eccentric character jumping around and sort of having digressions then you might actually really love this it kind of comes off as kind of i'm gonna say fun and playful I say those words in terms of my experience in the actual narrative. I think it's very haunting. Like I think mm-hmm. the effect of it um, maybe on the reader was intended to be more like off putting or upsetting. I don't think I came away with it from it that way. Um, I also think I'm pretty disconnected from a Russian story from the 1800s. So <laughs> uh, I could see why I, I read it fun and playful is like kind of interesting. Whereas, you know, I could see the author having written this thinking like, man, people will be disturbed by this, this clearly upset character. Uh, and I think either interpretation is pretty valid. So I, I did enjoy that at times. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a good point that perhaps his purpose was to make people uncomfortable and because he's, it's very much a psychological story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. And with the, that. According to the back uh, cover, of the Penguin printed volume. It was based on a St. Petersburg news report. And so, you know, I'm sure when it was published or when he wrote it, he had some, you know, specific ideas he wanted to get across or kind of news related content he wanted to cover. So I I bet, you know, there were certain intentionality in that direction. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and rate this one. This again was a short story by Dostoevsky called the meek one, or the, I guess you said the gentle one earlier. Um, depending on translation. Mm -hmm. What's your review or rating for this one, Amanda? I gave it a two. Um, So I think that it's thoughtful stylistically and it's very purposeful and he, he definitely has things that he wants to say. Um, But I, I would say that sometimes his ideas are a bit too um, disjointed and I don't know whether that's from the translation or if that was purposefully done because the character is um, suffering from a traumatic event. Um, but right. it's, it can be a bit off putting in that way. And there's a lot of um, ideas um, that he puts into his writing, but they're just done almost like in quick succession succession so that right. there's no time to just kind of like soak in an idea before encountering a new one so it can be a little bit overwhelming and and dense in that way but i would say that if you're interested in psychology um and interested in in seeing um somebody's perspective on what happens to the mind and stuff like that in in traumatic experiences I, i think that you would enjoy reading this i wrote down for myself a extremely not an extremely non-committal uh, review <laughs> rating, which is like I literally wrote down, make it a one or two, and decide after the pod. Uh, and our discussion is always so illuminating that I think it helped. I think it's a one for me, though. Ah. I will say this. So for us to, to clarify, as I usually try to, one means don't read this pass. Two means perhaps read it. You know, if you're intrigued by the discussion we had, go ahead and seek it out. I'm sure you might enjoy it. And then a three means definitely read this no matter what. It's great, excellent, whatever. Um, I think it's funny as we were talking, I think I would have made great work of this again in a college type setting where it's like write a paper about this or, and I remember this about the brothers Karamazov as well, where in the class and how the class was shaped and, you know, the professor had a lot of control. We read a lot of supplemental materials and criticism. 
I can't say I didn't enjoy the experience. There was a lot to think about and ponder and you could have a million ideas and yada yada. Like, and there are contexts and situations where that feels good, where you're, that is enjoyable. I just think you have to bring so much to a text sometimes to get that out of it. And schools and academia is usually the way I've been taught to like put in that kind of work. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, reviewing this or rating this for someone who doesn't have that desire. I feel like a one is just such a safer score here. Not that this is meant to be like a hundred percent consumer review. Um, but I just think a one is a more honest answer. I will also add then that I couldn't help but draw some comparisons while I was reading it, especially back to Edgar Allan Poe, who I think does off-putting narrators better and faster. Like he, Mm. it gets a lot of the same effects and has a lot of the same eeriness and creepiness and, and I think it's just a more direct and satisfying manner. And you also don't have to, it's not as dense. And perhaps as you said, it might not be as psychologically rich, you know, something like a Poe short story. And I right. agree with you completely there. This is, you know, you got a lot of threads you could pull out here with this one. But I just think the rhetorical effect of that kind of like interesting narrator, creepy, unreliable, whatever. I don't know. I just couldn't get it out of my head that like there were times where I had to put this down out of like I had the tired eyes going like I literally was just like, I don't I don't want to engage with this. It's either too much or it's jumping around too much or it's on, you know, it just felt very chaotic to read. And so that definitely never happened with Poe. I was like enraptured. So, yeah, yeah, I think a one is an honest answer in both ways. But again, I'm as I'm saying one, don't read this. I'm also thinking like if some person threw this at me again in college, for example, I think I would have enjoyed it quite a bit, actually, breaking it down, analyzing it, rereading parts. So I don't know. I mean, I you know, if you've listened through this whole episode, thank you. And then also, I think you'll have decided pretty well by now if this is for you or not. Right. I, I think that for me, because I hadn't read anything else by Dostoevsky, but since you said that this is a pretty um, correct or um, truthful representation of some of his other writing i would be interested in in reading his other works but i know now how i'm going to approach those works which is um with my academic hat hat on so i'm not it's it's not going to be one of those pleasure reads it's going to be one of those reads where i know that i'm going to have to put the book down i know that i'm going to be taking notes um for myself and stuff like that so it's I think this is a good way if you if you do want to read Dostoevsky, one of his other novels, then this would get you in the mindset of like how to read Dostoevsky. I, I completely agree. Yeah, that's I think coming away from it. And if the, the listener takes nothing else away from this, it would be this is actually a decent sampling. Honestly, the the narrators and characters in that uh, in the Brothers Karamazov, for example, s- very similar tone, just similar writing style to them wild zany unpredictable etc cetera, etc cetera, all the words we've used i think it yeah this is a extremely accurate sampling um from my again somewhat limited knowledge and like i had to read excerpts from crime and punishment and in my recollection again it's the the narrator in that feels extremely similar to me like coming away from this i felt like it you know and you know props to penguin i guess like they chose a very representative sample which i think for a lot of these little classics it's kind of what we're looking for if nothing else it's like yeah give me a you know just give me a taste of what could be out there right yeah so this is the meek one by dostoevsky is actually pretty great at that so despite it being a one for me hey there we go gave some credit in the end i respect it (laughs) final thoughts to amanda before we wrap up the review uh no i'm good 
Excellent. Well, look forward to next week's episode, which is going to be on a, I think it's Flaubert, Flaubert. It's another French name. So here we go. Just butchering names again, <laughs> back and back to our usual programming. Um, it's another single short story though, which I'm intrigued by Amanda. There's a good chance she's going to join us for that one too, which is excellent. We'll see if she hops in. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, I found it online already, actually. Wonderful. That's, and I especially <laughs> love having that. You're basically our research department at this point. Too, so. <laughs> Credit and props to you. Thank you for doing, for finding that. Um, we'll be back with that. And then I think Amanda and I teased this on the Yellow Wallpaper episode. We might be doing a book club, which is like a deep dive episode on a Charlotte Perkins Gilman novel, Her Land. I have not begun that, to be honest, but if we do it, it'll be in the next couple weeks, and so keep an eye on the feed for that. And until then, we will see you between the classics. 